Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Parenting Cipher, where each episode will give you the tools and resources that you need to help you decode the information that keeps your child from making progress so you can connect the dots and lead your child's journey. I'm your host, Jeannie Dawkins, the Parent Confidence Strategist, and I help parents like you become more confident in navigating their child's disabilities so they can reach their highest potential in school and in life while creating a home life where everybody thrives. Today, we have Mr. Darius Thomas Wallace who is the founder and chief executive officer of Dynamic Therapy, LLC, a speech-language pathologist, mentor, and supervisor. Darius holds a unique background in evaluating and treating clients in schools, daycares, clinics, homes, and via telehealth. He has collaborated with multidisciplinary teams to address the communication and educational needs of clients with a wide variety of disability classifications, including autism spectrum disorder, emotional disturbance, intellectual disability, specific learning disability, speech language impairment, and ADHD. Darius has also successfully increased pragmatics, language, articulation, and fluency skills in elementary, middle, and high school clients. Darius, welcome to the Cypher. Yay! I'm so happy to be here. So what Darius doesn't know <laughs> is that Darius worked with, my ch- worked with my boys for several years, and we used to sit across from each other in an IEP meeting, and I would listen to him, and I'd be like, yeah, we're going to have conversations. <laughs> we're gonna have a conversation and when i created the cypher i was like yeah he's on my list he doesn't know he's on my list right. and literally stalked him <laughs> <laughs> i was like and one of the things that i loved about darius so much was that he's a black man and i have two black boys and how he worked with them was totally different from anyone else and so i want to tell you thank you for that um he did not allow them to um, sit in what I can't do. Um, one of the things for kids that's the hardest thing is when they are living with a disability um, and they don't know it and their self-confidence goes down and people are moving around them to help them and it's not working. And literally with um, my nine-year-old, he's nine now, but at the time I think he was like, what, six? Yes. And his go-to was like, that's hard for me. Yes, yes, it was. That is not an option. <laughs> That's too hard for me. That's too hard. Um, but <laughs> it's so funny. But one of the things I wanted to really get into with you is this thing we call speech. Mm. Um, and the misunderstanding that parents have of what it is, and unfortunately, the fact that we don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um our parents, our children are not always getting what they need. Mm, that's all right. Right. So the first thing I want to ask you is what exactly is speech language impairment? Okay. So first off, hello, everyone. I'm happy to be <laughs> here on this here podcast. And so I'll start off with sharing that a speech language pathologist right, is someone mm-hmm. who works to prevent, assess, diagnose, and treat speech and language disorders. 
when a parent typically comes to the table, they're like, oh, my child has some problems with speech or, oh, they're not articulating correctly, right? And so they're confusing the terms between articulation and expressive language. But as a speech pathologist, that's our role to guide the parents through that journey and to explain what those various disorders are in our whole speech world. And so a speech impairment is when a child has difficulties com communicating expressively, right? And so our role is to utilize their strengths to help increase their weaknesses. Mm. So what is expressive language? So expressive language is when a person, it doesn't have to be a child, when a person has difficulties communicating verbally or through any way that's an output, right? Because all language isn't expressive verbally. Mm -hmm. Sign to communicate, people write to communicate. It's all a form of language. And then receptive language is what a client or a person is able to take in, mm -hmm. right? what they may be able to point to right? versus what they're saying, which would be that expressive language. Ah, so pull up some numbers because I was like, what? Because I have Darius on the line. I've got a guy. So when we were talking about expressive language, you know, um, there is there basically I looked up something and it said expressive language delays at 24 months of age increase child's children's risk for later speech and language services. But they say black children were less likely to receive speech language services mm, compared to white children. Mm. You know, interesting enough, our people, I am African-American male. <laughs> our people, we do not like labels. Mm -hmm. I want to label our children. And we're scared that if we do label our children, they won't be successful. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely not true. Right. While the system or diagnostician may have to label your child for them to receive the supports and services that they need, it does not mean that they won't be successful. It means that they're going to get the help to help them become successful. And so we always have to keep that in the forefront that at the end of the day, it's about our children. It's about the clients. It's not about what we're thinking is going to happen later. It's about what we know that they need right now. Right. And then that, that says we segues into a conversation of early intervention. Yes. Yes. Um, I always like, so I, you know, in my book, not my child, one of the things I said was early intervention is key mm -hmm. um, between actually let's, let's be real before, before school, okay, before kindergarten, before they get to kindergarten, mm -hmm. having an early assessment is key just because of the foundation and where speech goes, how it how it meets, and it also flows into reading. Right, right. So, I mean, when it comes to early intervention, we don't like labels. We really mm -hmm. don't. Um, mm -hmm. I just happened to have my child in a private school at the time. Um, Asara was in private school at the time, mm -hmm. and they said, um, they said, do you understand him when he talks? And I was like, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, what, what, what you talk about, Willis? Right. Right. But then I put, then I had to pause. So they were, there were tales. So one of the tales was he would only speak to me when I would make him speak. And that's that, that, do you want this? And they shake their hand. You'd be like, say yes. Right, right. <laughs> right. Because right. in my mind, I was checking all the markers. 
check, 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 all developmental markers. I was checking them. And when they asked me the question, my immediately, I told you guys, I was like, yeah. Then I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Then I thought about it. And I was like, oh, man, no, not really. Right. I just know because I'm his mom. Exactly. So I asked other people, I asked my mom, I was like, mommy, you know what he's saying? She was like, no. Um, and at the time, and to be really honest with everyone, at that time, I had two older kids who were going through some things and I was getting prompted with them as well. Right. And I was like, well, they're not failing that, you know, they're not failing. I don't know why I need to get them tested. Um, so when they asked me the question, I really thought about it. And he was three at the time. And um, they did like a or like a what is now a full screen, but just like a brief assessment, a pre-screening. Mm-hmm. And um, they came back and they were like, you know, Miss Dawkins, we suggest that you go get him a full screening. So as a parent, because I just told you, like, you know, we get our nice books and the books tell us these are the things uh-huh. that we supposed to check off. Uh-huh. And, you know, in our minds, it's like, it's, it's all good. Right. Right. <laughs> but a pre-screening, what are you looking for? <laughs> yeah. So there, one, I want to cover so many things based off of everything that you just said. Cover it. <laughs> yes. When we think about speech and language therapy, we start off with early intervention, which is ages birth to three. So anytime a child receives services between birth to three, they're in that early intervention phase, right? Next, we go to the school age, which is starting with pre-K three nowadays with schools going all the way up to the senior year in high school. And then after that, you have kids that go off to college and they can receive supports privately, right? After they finish the school system. So that's why you have private clinic, um, private centers or private clinics, which I own one, Dynamic Therapy. Yeah. Right? And so people can then go to those private centers as well. And even if they don't want to receive services from their schools or if they or those if those services aren't available, they can still go to those private clinics or centers for services. So that's kind of what that looks like. Now, in the evaluation process, right, I talked about what we do as speech pathologists. The first step is if someone comes to the speech pathologist with a concern, we can conduct a screener, right, based off of what the need is. And after the screener, we can conduct a full speech and language evaluation. So we go from screener to a speech and language evaluation, and then we tally up all our data, look at the total overview of the child, right, their background, whether or not they're speaking African-American English in the home environment, so we're not misdiagnosing them. Right. And then we write our evaluation report and present it to the team. Now, it's very important for us as speech pathologists to have cultural competence. Right. If you have an African-American child saying the TH sound. Right. Mm-hmm. Or saying the um, the F sound for the TH sound. Right. It's a dialect of difference. Right. And depends mm-hmm. on the word, et cetera. So can you think of a word that you may say that's African-American English in regards to articulation? Think about like a sound, a word that you say. Mm, no, and it probably is one. These, you know, I'm I'm finna go. See, you know, but you know, I'm a native DC. I'm right. a native Washingtonian. And right, so I'm finna go. Um, I'm about to do something. Right, that that's all a dialect, right? Oh yeah, that's yeah, like how we yeah. how we yeah, what do we say in DC? Father, my father, you know. We have to be competent about cultures and what, mm. so we don't mislabel our kids. And so then now we can talk about mislabeling 
But if a qualified speech language pathologist says that this child has a disorder, we should we should take all the things that they're saying into consideration. Mm. Yeah. That's deep. Mm-hmm. That is deep. Just because when you said cultural competence, I was like, what? Yeah. It makes it does make a difference. Yeah. To actually being able to say, okay, this part is the cultural, but this part is actually them being able to say that sound. Mm-hmm. Like this for this. This mine. Right. Versus the TH. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that's important. That's important when you look for a screener. Or mm-hmm. or even if hypothetically saying if you're getting one through the school and they don't have like another African American given it, you should ask the question. You know, do you use cultural competence? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes people need a prompt. Yep. Or are you culturally competent? Mm-hmm. Have you worked with clients of this cultural background or have you studied it? Right. A lot of times parents just come to speech pathologists and they say, all right, I need my baby to get services. They yep. have no idea what all that means or what the background the speech pathologist may need to have. They're just like, all right, can you see my child make, make magic happen? <laughs> We're the miracle workers. It is true. It is true. I, you know, one of the things that not that I found disturbing, but one of the things on my my journey that I was that I realized, especially with um a star. And when a star started, you were not his speech therapist. So with that being said, I was in this meeting and um we went over the test results. I knew more about the test results than everybody at the table. Yes. Right. We got in this conversation about dyslexia mm-hmm. and um, the the special education, the person at the time said to me, the special education teacher said to me, dyslexia is just seeing the letters backwards. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Right. No, ma'am, it's not. Right. And I went on to explain to her the, the, the three different types of dyslexia. Exactly. And when I was finished, she was quiet. And I'm bringing up this moment to it really. Feels. I love when parents are knowledgeable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot and of myths out there. A lot of myths. Mm-hmm. And then I also said, because I had, so listen, guys, okay. So I'm a resource person. And if I don't know, I want to find out. So I, I had this test result and I highlighted everything. Look, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm be real. Everything is wrong. Everything wrong. Everything is low. It's low, it's low. Got to fix it. Gotta fix it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I was calling people. And that's when I realized the correlation between speech and dyslexia. Mind you guys, my son had been receiving speech for three years before we got to the point where they were willing to test him because I kept telling him something is wrong. He's not reading. Yeah. He's not reading. And they were like, oh, no, it's developmental. And I had to literally sit down with them and say this to them, guys. I had to say, look, <laughs> his sister has ADHD and dysgraphia. Mm-hmm. His brother has dyscalculia, mm-hmm. an executive disorder. And his dad is bipolar. Mm-hmm. Genetically, his chances of having a learned disability are high. I want you to test him. Mm-hmm. And they did. That conversation shouldn't, I shouldn't have had to say all of that. Right. For it to happen. For that to happen. Mm-hmm. So because we started that way, y'all were all, they were on my radar. Right. So I'm sitting there with you. And we are uh, we understand that he has a speech learning impairment. Um, they have a specific reading, a specific learning disorder reading. I told them, look, we'll call it what it is. 
is dyslexia. Right, which is a reading disorder. Which is a reading disorder. Mm -hmm. And I learned the power of saying dyslexia. Yes. I learned the, the power of that. And then even with that being said, Darius, I'm telling you, it was so funny. I had highlighted all this stuff. I came prepared. But what I didn't have was I only had what the school gave me. I didn't have anything else to have in my back. Yes. So when I went to go and say, these are the combinations I wanted, they were pushing back. Mm. I was like, I got you because I got insurance. That's important <laughs> for you to know about accommodations and modifications. That's another aspect because a lot of times a child may not qualify for an IEP. They may qualify for a 504 because they receive certain supports, right? Modifications, accommodations, et cetera. But it's important for parents to also know what their child needs. Mm -hmm. like preferential seating, extended time, read aloud when, it, when they're taking a standardized assessment. These are all things that are critical that parents have to know their child, one, and be able to speak up for them. Yep. The child is unable to. Yep. And put it in, I like to bring people into the experience. So there's been in meetings with me and um, I'm not passive aggressive is how I frame stuff. Uh -huh. So people will say, oh, well, we think it's a very good idea to have him work with another student. It'll help him read. Oh, really? So um, a star is very shy. His self-confidence is low and he knows that he doesn't know. Right. And you want him to sit with a peer and really show that he can't read. Right. And I left it like that. And they all looked at each other and said, oh, you know, we're going to take that one off. <laughs> uh-huh. That's all right. Advocating for your child. Knowing what's best for them. And you, and listen, guys, you do not have to. It's not about you knowing everything. Right. The most important thing is knowing your child and really looking at the scenario. And if you don't know how to like verbalize certain things, my favorite thing is ask a question. How's that going to help him? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> explain it to you. Right. Because a lot of times, even in the IEP process, families see this 20 page IEP. They have no idea what the verbiage means in there, what the language, what any of it means. They have no idea. Right. They're just like, okay, check, 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 check. Cool. My baby getting services. That's all we need to know. Yep. But they must ask questions. Parents must, they must ask questions. They have to understand what are these services that my kid is getting? How long will they possibly be in speech therapy or receive these services? All right. And so. Yeah. And it's, that's key. I, I think my first IP, I asked the question, I, I looked it over, I looked it over and I said, so what you're telling me is that my son will always be two years behind. Mm. And everybody at the table was all right with that. Mm. Except me. Right. Except me. I was like, no, this is not going to work um, for me. And it wasn't going to work for his self-confidence. Um, right. The star that you met was different when he started. A star got diagnosed in second grade. Um, a star was withdrawn. He was bullied. Yeah. He would not speak because a star had an articulation, but he had more than... He had expressive, because I learned later on, I think by you, yeah. um, he had expressive and receptive. Mm. So it wasn't just his ability to, to be understood what he was thinking yeah. and what he was saying. His center structure was off. So it was like yeah. incomplete thoughts. Yeah. Those are, that's the expressive and receptive language. And to clarify for a lot of families out there, 
expressive language, right? Is their output, how they formulate sentences. We're looking at syntax and semantics. Again, that goes more into clinical terms, right? How kids are structuring their language, how would their output, how it's flowing, right? Articulation is the misproduction of speech sounds. So when a kid may say tat for cat, for example, articulation is all about speech sounds and how they're produced, right? If a kid is saying Baba Baba Woo for banana, right? That's <laughs> right. articulation mm-hmm. versus expressive language. So Yeah. And I was and and let me be, be honest with you. Um before you, because oh, we were so blessed. I just want to let you know that. Before you, we had an African American woman. Uh-huh. And it, and she would always say articulation, articulation. And and I kept saying, son, no, son ain't right. right. I'm gonna have to use my good good insurance. <laughs> and go get me someone else. Right. And we would talk and she would and she would give me the language to go back and talk to the 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 therapist in the school. And when I would bring up stuff, then all of a sudden she wanted to change it. Right. But I'm like, you work with him, so you can't tell me that you didn't notice that. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's so, the role for the provider to teach and educate and to be knowledgeable, to do their homework, right? Because we as human beings, we don't know everything. And there are many areas of speech and language therapy that we can all work in. You have swallowing, you have dysphagia, right? You have clients with aphasia, you have clients with traumatic brain injuries, you have articulation, you have fluency, you have language, right? Everyone can be skilled in everything, but that's up for the provider to say, hey, this isn't my area of expertise. Mm. Let me refer or let me bring in someone else and let's make this a team approach. We have to also be willing to say that, that I'm not, that's not my specialty. Right. <laughs> I'm not good at that. <laughs> and that's okay. And that, that is okay. But as a parent, I'm trusting you. And like you yes. said, we do do that. We're like, oh, you're going to help my kid. Yes. Here you go. Make it go happen. With Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we're not, and we're not necessarily involved. Right. We're saying someone's going to help my kid and we actually have not created this like team. We're not a team. You over here, you do this thing and you help my kid and I'm over here. I'm going to do my thing. What I've learned over the years is this. We are a team. Right. Okay. Um, For you to make sure that your child has progress, Mm -hmm. you have to be on the team, which you always are. You look, you on team, like my kids name is Sarah and I used to always send people letters every year especially the lead teachers. And I would be like, these are all the things that my son is going through because trust, don't believe that when teachers start the school year, that they are reading your child's IEP. They have a million and one things. So I would write this letter. And at the end of my letter, I would say, welcome to team Asar. Welcome to team Xavier. And the reason why I did that is we're all working together. Mm -hmm. And in all honesty, another thing that I've learned throughout the years is anything Darius may be doing with my son with speech is the same thing that I should be doing at home. Right. Uh, it's just like that. You ever hear that? I mean, like here when people say this, I know my mom says it, so I don't want to say it's a black saying, yeah. but old school saying is whatever you do at home, you do outside. Uh-huh. And it's vice right. versa. Right. So you want your child to be holistic. You want them to take everything that they're supposed to be, they're getting at school that's supposed to help them make progress. You should be doing the same thing at home. Right. 
because it can't be a duality for them to progress. So you, when he works with Darius, Darius is saying, slow down, pace yourself. Uh Cause my son has rapid speech. Mm -hmm. So his words will blend in together real quick. Um, and one thing Darius helped him understand is people are not understanding. People don't understand you because you can't talk, but baby, you're talking so fast. Right. But you have to pace yourself. Uh-huh. And I never told you this, but I will never forget. Um, he was talking to my mother one day and she said, I she said, I don't know what you're talking about. I saw her. What is he talking about? And uh-huh. he said, he said, I want you to get me McDonald's. Uh. Do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> but what's so, but what was so this is the thing when you have kids yeah. that you don't understand and you and you and your family members are your team, right? When he slowed down, my mom was in awe. And I was in the car and I was in awe because he has just exhibited one, acknowledging that he's talking fast. Mm-hmm. Two, he can control it. Yes. And with that comes self-confidence. Right. So I was like, yeah, I was like, okay, now. Yeah. Yeah. I remember for my kids to have rapid rate of speech, I love utilizing a pacing board. Yeah. Pacing board, it, it may have smiley faces on it or stars, and they have to tap out the smiley faces or stars for each word that they're saying. It helps them to slow down their rate of speech. So that's always a cool technique for families to utilize. It's called a pacing board for rapid rate of speech. Oh my goodness. And yeah. it's like, and, and one day he asked me for it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so funny. He was like, where's my pacing board? Uh-huh. Because at that point it wasn't that it wasn't that we didn't understand him. Right. It was, it was something else. It was, I, I want to say his sentence structure at that point. Mm-hmm. And then, it, then it morphed into, he still has struggles with expressive and receptive, mm-hmm. um, but some of it's social. Mm-hmm. So uh, they will come down, right. But they will come down, talk to you. Like you've been holding the entire conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then you have to get him to pause and catch you up to speed. Yeah. 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 Slow so that, that's like, you know, but it's, it's the, you want to, so as parents, you want to empower yourself. You want to empower your child. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be able to realize that dynamic, especially as a black parent, when we're talking about systematic racism mm-hmm. and even our own biases, like I said, we don't like to be labeled and, and I'm going to be so clear. Um, Asar has autism spectrum disorder. He has the multidimensional. So it's not just the visual, the optical part um, with what he sees and how he sees it. It's not just the processing part. Um, he has layers. And with at Yu Ying, because he was attending watching Yu Ying Public Charter School in DC at the time, we were dealing with the reading and the speech, expressive and receptive language. Um, but Asar also had an optical piece, mm-hmm. um, which it, when you read, when you read, it's like we take advantage of it. So here's the thing, kids. <laughs> Look, when you read, your eyes have to work together. Mm-hmm. It's, it's called teaming. 
left to right, left to right. That helps children read, especially like read fast, increase their pace. A star has star has a high stigmatism. So if you don't know, it's like someone takes a rock and just runs it across the eye, right? Mm -hmm. So stars had this, who knows for how long, but a star would tilt his head. So the eye, the part of his eye that he could see through, he could see. Mm. So a star, because the mind and body is a beautiful thing. His eyes work individual. They don't team together. Right. So outside of Yu Ying, I also took my kid to um, do this program to learn how to read because I needed I needed to catch up. I need him catch up fast. Yeah. Right. And she kept telling me, she was like, you need to take him to a developmental optometrist. Nah. You need, she was like, you need to, she, she, said, she said, stop paying me and take him to a developmental optometrist. And, and finally, I took him. Told you that. What type of uh, provider told you that? Um, she was like, a, no, she was, no, she was a reading, a reading specialist. Nice. And she kept pressing and I was like, nah. And when I finally took him, of course, we all know what the results were. Mm-hmm. Right? And he broke everything down, but he knew that she was referring me and it took me two years. Yeah. And she said, she said, I can't take it. She said, I can't take him any further. And he asked me, he said, why did it take you so long? And I told him, I said, I ain't want nothing else to be wrong with him. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, we can. And I was like, and I said, to, I was thinking to myself, I understand what you're saying. But when you have a child and it seems like every time you have something covered and then someone says something else is wrong. And I hate to say it that way, but that's how you feel. Something else is wrong. Right. You're like, yeah, man. Well, how much is that? And now, now and my son is like, he's 11. Okay. I call him my million dollar baby. <laughs> and the reason why I call him my million dollar baby. Okay. So. When, you, when they have when people, so what we call it now in general is autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. But there are other, or, but, but there is an underlying most of the time, which is for Asar, it's called pervasive developmental disorder, which means there are parts of his mind and body that did not develop the way that they were supposed to. So on that note, guys, I'm going to give you a little bit of tea. Asar had to have braces. Why did Asar have to have braces? Because his lower jaw was smaller than his upper jaw because developmental delay did not grow the way it was supposed to. So now we talk about life $5,000 for that. Asar's mm. feet does not do not have an arch. He has a non-existing arch. Asar cannot walk. Man, that little dude can't do trick-or-treating before he tap out. Oh. His feet hurt. Mm-hmm. Feet hurt. Now, with that being said, right now he has like we got these orthotics, man. These joints are like little shoes inside of shoes, okay? Um, five hundred dollars, but I have insurance, okay? But eventually, when he's fourteen, he has to have major surgery on both feet. My million dollar baby. But you know what? It's gonna all pay off. It's all gonna pay off. But I wanted to bring that up for everybody. Is like you said, we don't like labels. That's fine. We don't want anything else to be wrong, but at the end of the day, the primary function of a parent is that when you're gone and we all going to go sometimes, let's be real, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they're okay. Yeah. They're okay. And I, I like to say parent, I parent in fucking imperfection. 
<laughs> okay. I'm doing the best job I had, but what can never be said is that I didn't give my kids everything possible that I was aware of. And that's why I created Decipher. Right. You know more, you do more. No pressure because it doesn't have to look the same. But the most important piece is that you can hold other people accountable. Be a boss. All right. That's, <laughs> it. That's it. That's it. So I have another, uh, like, so I've been doing like little tidbits. Cause you know when I prepare for people late, I want I want everyone to shine, but I also want to get all the tea. So uh, this I found this to be so interesting. So they said about eighteen percent of school age children with disabilities identified as having a speech or language impairment, making it the second largest disability category recognized under the IDEA Act. Mm. And they said people are of color are less likely to receive speech intervention in kindergarten. Mm. And I read, I was like, oh, I'm lucky. Right, <laughs> right. Um, I'm so lucky. And I mean, I know we, t- we, we, we talked about it before when early intervention and we said it's because we don't want our kids to be labeled. Mm-hmm. But there are other pieces to that that I wanted to get you, you know, mind what you think about that. Let's talk about it. So we take our kids to doctors. I've never had a doctor say anything to me and they were trying to prompt him to talk and then nobody say anything. <laughs> right. right. It's really important for families, providers, other people to understand developmental milestones as well. Mm-hmm. Milestones offer important clues about a child's developmental health. Right. And reaching milestones at the typical ages shows whether a child is developing as expected. A lot of times families, practitioners, they may not understand all developmental milestones for that specific age group, right? Or that range. And if they don't, right, they're not able to pinpoint that these things are needed to be taught, right? So there's a certain age that pronouns need to be taught. There's a certain age that a child begin, begin to produce certain sounds. If we don't have that understanding, right, we're like, oh, they'll grow out of it. Oh, they'll get it at some point. That's the one. Yes. They should have had that two years ago. But (laughs) the other, the caveat to that is that sometimes parents start to panic really soon. The kid is two and the kid isn't saying R sound yet. They're like, my baby, they can't say the R sound. They can't say rabbit. It's like, well, man, R should be massive until seven, eight years (laughs) ago. We have to do a lot of coaching on developmental milestones, and that can carry out again from that articulation piece, the misproductions of speech sounds, or can carry over to expressive and receptive language, et cetera. right, we have to understand developmental milestones and where the child is performing based off of their age. And if the child is premature, we have to take that into Oh, wait a minute now. Speak on that. Yeah. So if a child is premature, right, they were maybe in the NICU for six months before they were out performing with their counterparts who was who were born at their expected age. Right. So we have to take all those things into consideration when we are testing a child. That's why in the background information, we're asking, oh, were there any concerns or any problems during childbirth? Right. Was a child born full term? These are questions that we're asking as providers so we can make the best decisions and recommendations based off of the child. Mm. Yeah. That's, 
I mean, especially given, you know, as far as like the African-American community, when it comes to the birth rate, mm-hmm. difficulty giving birth, um, ooh, C-sections. Yes. Um, that plays it though. That's a, yes, that's key. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that we don't think about. It was something we just not aware of. Like, we ain't gonna talk about think about like we looking at our child and we like, hey, yeah, you yeah. know, you're right. We do want you. We want them to. We don't understand the milestones, right? Um, and it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. That up to the teachers and the doctors and those things. But if parents ever wanted to know, they can type in speech and language developmental milestone, right? Mm. Them what the milestones milestones are. For whatever thing they're looking for, if they're looking for speech sounds, you can type in speech sound development chart, right? If you're looking for language, you can type in speech and language developmental milestones chart, right? And these will give you ideas of where your child should be performing at their age. So when so we're gonna we're gonna fast forward real quick. So let's yeah. be I'm gonna be real with y'all now. So like I have two kids who are in middle school, elementary school. Mm-hmm. Now I do have two um two of my stepkids. Who mm, they are no longer in school at all. Right. Um, but my daughter did have dysgraphia, which was interesting because I was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. But it made sense. It made sense. <laughs> when I figured out what it was and I had to do a lot of digging, it made sense. But if you are, let's say for instance, you have a child, they didn't get screened for early intervention. Um, they didn't get screened in elementary school, and now you're looking at a middle school. Or a high school student who the speech difficulty is affecting the reading. How you know? How can you help them? I mean, like as a parent, how can you help them? But as far as where you're concerned, when you have when you're actually introduced to the, those kind of situations, what does that look like? Yeah. So two pieces here. How can families best support their children if there are reading concerns? Mm-hmm. Well. I always want to encourage families to, if there's a book that the child likes or author, what have you, you can read that same book every single night for a week, for two weeks. You don't have to change the book so often because what happens is children begin to learn and pick up language. They begin to, they begin to pick up those vocabulary words in the book. So when you're reading the book, right, you can say the cat is on the, it may yeah. be three. You know, you you allow them to fill in. Right. And that's teaching them reading skills. That's teaching them vocabulary. And you're pointing to the words and you're showing them what you're reading. Right. And so it's important to read one. You can read one same book every night of the week. Mm -hmm. You can start off by working on sounds. There are so many videos on YouTube where one in particular, I love Bounce Patrol Kids, where you (laughs) Specific sounds, right? It's like, can you make the letters sound? Yes, Bounce Patrol Kids is a lot of fun. You'll find yourself dancing, doing the wobble while you're singing. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, teaching speech sounds. You don't have to be a teacher or a speech pathologist to know that A says ah, right? Mm-hmm. Or eh, right? You know, when it depends on you're working on long vowels or short vowels. Or B says ba 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 ba. You're doing all these things naturally, and that's that's all supporting them in their phonics, mm-hmm. their awareness skills, which moves towards reading. Right. So when you have a middle school or high school student, yes, get them tutoring. <laughs> <laughs> you so you know what I would say something. You know, one of my things that I'm I'm really passionate about early intervention 
early intervention, but most importantly, like elementary. And the reason why is, is for my daughter who had ADHD and dysgraphia, um, by the time she got diagnosed, she was like clinically depressed. Mm. Now here's the key piece. As far as accepting her diagnosis, she's like, just give me drugs, I'm good. She didn't want to do therapy. Mm. She didn't want to do nothing. She wanted the meds. But you flip the script and I look at my younger kids and it's like a regular, regular part of their life. They're like, I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference is so with Asar, I don't know if we had this conversation. Um, Yu Ying was really good at creating a program for kids who had IEPs and accommodations and they were all in one room. Mm-hmm. It was in fourth grade. Union only goes up to fifth grade, guys. Um, they didn't have enough students for fifth grade to create that classroom, and they were going to put the kids back into general classes. Sar said he didn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, because he had a terrible experience. I'm going to be real. Like, he was bullied for a, quite a while. Um, but what happened was I started taking the private schools, and he saw that there were other ways. He saw that um, it's cool to be different and it's cool to be around people who are just like me. Yeah. And that's the thing that he wanted the most. He, But he wasn't to the point where he was like, I hate intervention. So this is the thing with accommodations in a public school. When they have to get therapies, they have to be pulled out. Yeah. So what that looks like. See, when they're younger, I don't think they care. I think they like, yay, take me. I know Zay was one of those kids. You know, Zay would literally be at the door right. with his face. Who wants to get the glass? Mr. Darius, are you coming to get me? Right. But Asar got to the point when he was in general classes that now everything stops and where, where's he going? Where's he going? You know, oh, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And, as, and as they get older, those pullouts, it takes a toll on them. Yes. And then they begin to, they begin to resist it. Like, I want I'm good. I don't need help. Yes. And I want to talk about it. So I have worked in middle schools and high schools. Right now, my age range goes from birth to 21. Yes, you can see kids when they're only a few months old. Oh, I didn't know that. Milestones for a kid that's birth to two months. There are things that you're looking for. Right. So, right. That goes to take us back to our developmental milestones. But I work at Suitland High School right now, one of my service locations. And I will sometimes approach my ninth graders on the first week of school just to introduce myself, let them know I'll be working with them. And they just came from middle school and seeing a speech pathologist. And they're like, uh-uh, that lady told me I wasn't going to have any more speech. I don't want to see you. I'm not coming. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. So I give them a moment and I come back the next week and I say, hey, I'm back. I'm going to be here all four years with you and I'm going to serve as your guardian angel. Right. We have to change the way the kids look at things. Right. Mm-hmm. And they hear speech pathologist, psychologist, social worker. They're like, I don't need that. I'm fine. I don't need any support. So I start calling myself the guardian angel in high school. It's like they don't need to know that. You know, they know that I'm the speech pathologist, but it doesn't always have to be the highlight. Right. They could tell their friends in the schools because one, they're embarrassed. To receive supports and services. They can tell their friends that I'm their big cousin. They work at the school that's coming to support them. You know, they we have to know how to help the kids help themselves. 
because at the end of the day, they still need the supports and services, which is why they haven't one been dismissed and two, they need the services. So let's find ways to get them involved. Right. And that could be talking to them and asking them how they want to be pulled out of class. If they see you talk to the teacher and you tell the teacher, hey, on Mondays, I'm going to come get Johnny at 10 o'clock. The teacher already knows you're coming. So when you come by the door, she could just point to him and be like, that's it. It doesn't have to be a big call out thing because that sometimes affects the kids and their confidence. Mm-hmm. And you have to know that the kids have to know what they want and you ask them. But also it's important for parents to attend back to school night, get to know the teachers, be able to tell the teachers, like you mentioned, let them know there's a team approach and I'm going to be there to support them. But for the kids, things become harder as they get older. So in middle school and high school, the math assignments are harder, the science assignments are harder. And speech pathologists, we're not teachers, right? So our role is to work on speech and language disorders in the school system or whatever area it may be, voice, et cetera. So we have to make sure the kids are getting the supports that they need. And so a lot of times for my high schoolers in particular, I always tell them, hey, if you are struggling in math, go see your math teacher. If you're struggling, if you're struggling in math, go see a tutor after school. And your math teacher is most likely doing tutoring twice a week after school. So just really guiding them and teaching them how to advocate for themselves is most important that I find in middle school and high school. It is. Yeah. It is. I know with Asar, so he's in middle school and we have these <laughs> we have these conversations that go, did you talk to your teacher? Mm-hmm. No. Why not? She already know. No, she don't know. Right. She don't know. Yes. She yeah. don't know. And I think as parents, we tend to go down two roads. <laughs> okay. The road you ain't doing, I'm going to do it. Yeah. The road I told you to do it, you're not doing it, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned a new road. I've learned a new road to be like the ghost in the back, like I'm truly the guardian angel. Right. So I tell you what to do. I ask you when you want to do it. I tell you why it was, how it will support you. Right. And I wait and I wait. And then I'm like, oh, I can't take it no more. And then I go behind their back. And I email the teacher. Yes. And, and I tell teacher, don't don't tell them, don't, don't, don't tell them I contact you. Right. <laughs> because it's possible he did he did talk to her in his own way. And right. that, let's be clear, as a parent, we expect our kids to do <laughs> Well, well, we want them to show up the way we want them to show up, mm-hmm. but they may show up a different way and they're not necessarily going to come back and be like, hey, ma, I talked to my teacher. He never talked to the teacher. You know what he did, Darius? He sent an email. <laughs> okay. Very professional. <laughs> right. Right. But it's, it's like I said, it's just funny. I, um, because this is first year in middle school. Yeah. And um, and he's growing, and that's something you know. I did this um, the seminar, and they were talking about middle school, why middle school matters, and they were talking about middle school is so pivotal for kids because their brain cells are growing so exponentially. They say it, they compare it to like um, a newborn baby, mm. and at the, and and they're trying to sort themselves out. They're trying to figure out who they are without you. And as parents, we just like, oh, we're in charge. Right. And we want you to show up A, B, C, and D. Right. And I'm learning under the line. I'm 
learned a lot. But I'm also, but sometimes I back up too much and I'm like, oh, what you doing? He needs help. Sometimes he'll ask me. Sometimes he, because you know, so Darius knows a SAR. Yeah. So, SAR is like this old man in this little 11 year old body. So uh-huh. SAR is just like, I'm like, well, so why didn't you? And he'll be like, because you didn't set my alarm. Oh no, we're we're not doing that. Buddy. Right. You're not gonna blame me. Why don't you set your alarm? Why don't you do it? Mm-hmm. And then we have this conversation, mm-hmm. right? But you know, um, his default. I find like middle schoolers, well, even Zay too, because he's a little old man too. And y'all y'all know out there, but my yeah. son, I got little old kids, and um, <laughs> their go to is before. right. Their go to is to blame me. Yeah. And Zay will tell me, you're the mom. Mm. No. No, we're not going to blame me. Well, we're going to look at what you could have you could have done to help yourself. Like, we're not going to blame me. And with Zay, I saw I always say, how can I support you? That's, I, took, I took this. I went to this personal development course. And that's the go-to line. How can I support you? Right, right. <laughs> Unexpected. You know what to do. <laughs> but I feel like once your kids get to middle school and high school and and you don't have anything else to say, like the best thing for you to put ownership back on them is say, I'm here to help you. How can I support you? Right. Right. It's going to throw them through a loop. Don't don't expect the answer right off the bat. But if you keep <laughs> if you keep asking them that one or two things are going to happen. They're going to start. At, they're going to start giving you a response. Or they're going to figure out how can they support themselves. Right. So then I wanted to talk to you about like so many things. I told Darius before you on the call. I was like, yeah. I'm going to talk to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to talk to you about the laboring children in IEPs. Mm. Right. So my little side note is like doing these meetings. Darius has like 20 pages. Mm-hmm. And then everyone who does the test, they go through their results. Mm-hmm. Right. And when they hear the word or they hear the diagnosis, speech impairment, okay, and then they go on, then they break it down, and then it'll be like articulation, and then, then they'll break down the test, and like, and you're sitting there like, mm-hmm, 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 because you know that's what we do, mm-hmm, right? <laughs> once, <laughs> once, and IEP is not just that initial IEPs. You know, you meet twice a year. You know, go over the goals that were set, create new goals. As a parent, and let's say hypothetically, during the initial testing, the thing that is that they're bringing up is expressive language, um, the articulation piece. But at, but you're seeing other things. Mm-hmm. How do you actually bring that into an IEP meeting when they when the person that's tested already feels like, oh well, we already tested him for that? How do mm-hmm. you bring that up? So that's a great question. One in the evaluation process, parents should be included in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They should be asked, what are the concerns? So when the therapist is evaluating the client, they're able to test for those things as well. They should be communicating with the teachers. They should be communicating with any other providers that that child may have. Because you want to make it a team approach and you want to make sure that you're getting the full picture. Mm-hmm. You want to ask them about their past hearing screenings, right? Or their past vision screenings, because all those things play a part 
in the child's growth and development and speech and language. So if you just so happen to forget something, you can always call the therapist during the evaluation process. But it's even fine to bring up in the meeting to say, hey, my child is having problems with this. Mm. What can I do to support them? And what can the school do for them? It's totally fine. So no matter what the area is, even if it wasn't covered in the evaluation process, the provider can say, oh, well, this may be contributed to this. But it's always important to bring it up at any time. And when you're going through or when a kid has an IEP, you can always call an emergency meeting. Right. Right. You're part of the team. You can always call a meeting to talk about your child and what things they need and how the school may be able to best support them. Excuse me, I know I'm sitting there thinking. The reason why I'm thinking is when you start off, you said that's important that parents do the evaluation. So, and then you talked about like later on, if you have any concerns. So this Mm -hmm. is what stuck out for me with that is this. When you do an initial evaluation, Mm -hmm. sometimes, especially as, you know, African-American and we're, we want the help, but we don't want the label. So sometimes when you're asking, answering those questions, it's not going to say it's a lie, but I'm going to say it's a little bit jaded um, because you don't want it. You want it, but you don't want it. Yeah, yes, yes. So, you're, so your eyes are not all the way open about it, but you're answering these questions, especially when especially when you're asking those questions. And, you know, sometimes usually the scale is like sometimes, always, never. When you start taking those tests and you check it always, always. You'd be like, yep. man, my kid got it jacked up. I'm not going to put always. No, it ain't always. <laughs> it's not but you must be honest. Yeah. And, but, but like, but speaking of what Darius just said, you always have an opportunity as a parent during the IEP process. I'm not saying change your answers. What I'm saying is go in and say, these are the things that I've noticed. You may know some before. Maybe it wasn't even on your radar. Because when you do get in the space, you hear a lot. That changes your how you view certain things because you have more information. Most often when you take these tests, you don't have a baseline of comparison or information. And that's just like Darius said, which is real cool because I didn't do what he said. Is, is I was like, when you do a screening to look at the charts, that kind of gives you kind of like a baseline of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. We don't have baseline. So we kind of like, I'm just going to take this test real quick. Right. Oh, it looked bad. I'm not going to, maybe not. Now I'm not going to say always. Sometimes you don't say never. I'm be real. I don't say never. <laughs> I'd be like, sometimes. Yes. And you're referring to those checklists that the evaluators give you. Yeah. So you can put in your content in the yep. report. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. I'm not going to say they're hard in the paint. They get a little bit hard on the spirit as a parent. Because, and that's, I'm going to bring it up because this is good, is the fact that your child has a speech diagnosis is no way a reflection of how you are as a parent. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think one of my biggest things is I never blame myself, but what I did was I was upset with myself because I knew I had like a feeling something was off. But every time I would talk to people, um, I would talk to doctors and sometimes teachers. And let's be clear, teachers, that's not their wheelhouse. So you're asking them 
but I really don't know. Right, right, <laughs> and the teachers, I fixed up this wrong, and they would give me this, like you just said, it's all developmental. All kids are going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. All kids, not your kid. Right. Uh, I think another great thing to share is that about kids not being labeled or parents not wanting their child to be labeled, it's always best to give a child the help as soon as you're starting to see the concern. You know, you want to help them when they're young. And honestly, when they're in kindergarten or first grade or second grade, time to get to high school, they kind of forget that they ever had those services. They forget providers' the name was. They're like, who I had? I had what? I had speech. What? No, I didn't. You know, they forget. And so I always say it's best to give them their services while they're young and when they need it. Don't wait until five years from now when it's gotten worse. Right now they're in middle school and they can't read. Mm-hmm. When you knew that in kindergarten and first grade, but you were scared of what the system would do to them. Yeah. You know, the system is going to help them, get them their support. Right. That's facts. So, so Asar, he's, I, I don't even know if he had a dyslexic uh, diagnosis by the time you met him. I think he did. But um, now Asar doesn't. So Asar, that's totally, so in a testament to what Darius is saying, dyslexia, um, specific learning disorder reading is no longer on Asar's test. IP dropped off. He doesn't mm-hmm. test that way. But us Xavier does test that way, right? So I'll say, Asar, help your brother out. Don't you remember what it felt like not to be able to read? He'd be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) See, he's above that now. He's so, so above. No, like, I'm like, you don't remember the three, three days a week tutoring? Nope. (laughs) You don't remember how it felt not to be able to? Nope. (laughs) That's a testament. That's just true. Early intervention (laughs) is key. Needless to say, Mm -hmm. the earlier, the better. Mm -hmm. Just on a self-confidence layer and that's just important nowadays and then i'm gonna ask two more questions so one about the labeling so now you have a parent right they finally agreed to give the evaluation they're told okay we're gonna give your child speech um therapy for articulation so that's mm-hmm. my thing right and now the parents like man they've been doing speech they could talk Right. They can talk. I don't want them in speech anymore. I I had a client like that, right? Yeah. And I had to explain to her, speech is not just talking. Right. Exactly. It is. What I have to say about what I've learned about the uh, therapy world is y'all title don't actually match what y'all do. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. A lot of times people hear speech pathologists or speech and they're thinking, oh, you write speeches? Oh, you just help people talk, right? <laughs> I'm like, no, we do so much more. So much more. I mean, like, I think one of the things when I was doing my research and we and um they were talking about dyslexia and speech and they were talking about like their different, their separate diagnosis, but how they how they intersect. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when working with you, I realized I was like, oh, you doing alphabets too? We're doing sounds. Um. I was like, is that what speech therapists do? Or are you just that good? But, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That Everything in the speech world, speech and language, there are stages to it. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And so we have to, if the end goal, right, is, you know, making sure that a child is able to read certain things, we're in the area of phonological awareness, right? And there are stages to phonological awareness and what things we're doing to address that. And so that that's up for the provider. But there, there are so many things that we do and assess, again, from voice to fluency, which is stuttering, to expressive and receptive language, to articulation, to feeding, right, to dysphagia, which is swallowing. You know, if a kid falls down on the playground and has a traumatic brain injury, mm-hmm. how can their language be affected because of that? Mm. So in school, we have to know all the cranial nerves. We have to know the anatomy and physiology of everything from your neck up is what I like to say. <laughs> everything that involves how we communicate, we are involved in. And it's important to know for even families out there that have children that are nonverbal, right, which means that they may not be communicating expressively. Mm-hmm. So we're teaching signs, simple signs. So children can have a way of communicating. We're using core vocabulary boards where the kid is pointing to things versus using expressive language. So there are multiple ways of communicating. And as a provider, my role is to give the client a way to communicate. I like that. Yeah. That's important. It is. It is. Oh, my goodness. So you so I asked, so I always ask people, like, what do you want to talk about? And you mentioned summer activities. Um incorporating the child's strengths and weaknesses. And the thing that I love about that is one of the things I've started to say is not disability, but superpower. Yeah. Emphasizing the positive, not so much with the negative. So during the summer, what can we do, especially in this COVID world? (laughs) Yeah, right. There are a lot of activities that people can play at home. Mm-hmm. Right. So I even like to stick with things that are simple, things that you already have in your house. You have cards. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone has a deck of cards at home. Right. Mm-hmm. You can work on numbers. You can work on sequencing with cards. You can work on following directions. You can work on taking turns. You can work on conversation skills within that because you can have a conversation with it. You can make it structured. So all things that are simple around your home, plan Uno. Right. If you have young kids that are in the first or first grade or in kindergarten, you're working on colors. You can work on colors with it. You can work on numbers. You can work on matching. You can set up these rules, right, to work on skills that you know that your child needs to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Boom Learning, it's a website where there are already so many activities where other providers have made all these various games. It's called Boom Learning. We call them Boom Cards. And they're like fun decks mm-hmm. where the kids can constantly engage and do anything from following directions to increasing vocabulary skills to learning spatial concepts or prepositions. And so whatever the deficit is that the client has or that the child has, you can look on Boom Learning, type in that word, and you will see a host of games that you can play. And many of them are free. I typically only do free games because there's so many out there <laughs> I need to do others. Uh, so, but summer activities are fun. Painting, drawing on the sidewalk, right? Getting kids out and being active. But the main thing I always encourage is communicating. We have to communicate with our children. We have to talk to them. 
we have to prepare them for what's to come. Mm. Because right. we're transitioning to all online learning right now, we have to make sure that they're prepared. And so whatever grade they're going to, we have to get them to thinking about the subjects that they're about to be immersed in and how to prepare them for those various subjects or those classes, for making mm-hmm. sure that they're organized. A lot of my kids, I help them with organizing their school bags and their school binders. Those things are very important over the summer that you can prepare for to get them ready because although they're online learning, they still need to have their binder. They still need paper. They still need to be taking notes when they're in class, right? And making sure they have folders so they can organize, okay, my homework is on the left, my turning pile is on the right, this is happening. These are all things that we should be focusing on to prepare them and engage them for the summer, over oh, the man. summer for the school. Structure. Yeah. I like it because that's something that we hopped into, like, oh, we're virtual. And it, we were like, what? Yeah. Yeah. We How do we navigate? What do we need to do? And it did take a lot of restructuring. But I do have to say with right. Xavier, my, I learned a lot as far as his learning style. And then I also learned how I can support him more. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. So I could hear if he didn't get an idea or a concept. And then I would build in time. And look, time, helping a kid does not take a lot of time sometimes. It could really be like 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. It, it don't have to be deep. I mean, you know, I like to say per- apparently imperfectly because you know, we look at media, social media, and we see other people do stuff, and we like, oh no, I ain't got time for that. Yeah. Five minutes is better than no minutes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and and like Darius said, you know, you have like these computer games, and so here's the thing with the games. I know we're predispositioned in this new age to put our kids on a tablet and walk away. Yeah. But yeah. I spoke to this woman who does digital parenting. She said this: it's not about the quantity of time a child is on a screen; it's the quality of time that they're mm-hmm. on the screen. And with that being said, if your kid likes YouTube, if your child, like, if you want to do boom cards with them, sit with them. Yes, exactly. You know, sit with them, connect with them. Even look at the five minutes boom cards or playing Uno. I laugh. You see see me rubbing my hands because Uno's the thing. That's damn. I love me some Uno. Um, And it's a great way to teach your child social skills because my son is a sore loser. Yes. He will be mad because he did not win. And he will throw a tantrum and vacate the space. So <laughs> it's a great opportunity to do that. So two more questions. Why'd you become a speech pathologist? Oh, that one touches my heart. So I became a speech pathologist because I wanted to make an impact in the lives of all people. I asked the Lord maybe 15 years ago, like, what career should I go into? And what I realized throughout my journey is that I've never done anything else outside of work with kids. I've never worked in hospitality. I've never worked in any restaurants. I've never worked at the mall. I've I've never worked at Geico, you know, whatever the case may be. (laughs) I've never done anything else outside of working education or work with kids. I've done, I've worked for Upper Bound. I've worked for various summer camps. And I just realized that my calling was working with the youth and making an impact in their lives. And so I chose speech and language. I chose communication science disorders, speech pathology, whatever term we want to use, because I love to communicate. I love to share. But I also know that I can build a relationship with kids. And so that's why I chose it. And I've never looked back. And I'm excited about it. All right. Thank you. Yeah. I thank you. Okay, And so because this is the cypher. 
Yeah. And I always ask people, what's your favorite song? And you said Fall by DeVito. Yes, I love that song. Right. So I played it. Because I was like, who? And as soon <laughs> as I played it. But as soon as I so I love music. So let's be clear. I love music. I love all types of music. I hear music yeah. all the time. Doesn't necessarily mean I know. So as soon as I played it, I was like, oh, yeah. oh yeah. So what is it about that song? You know, interesting enough, it just the beat, the the flow of the song, it just really gets me going. And it's funny because I have some young kids. It's like in first and second grade that they ask me to play that song. Their parents are like, "Oh, that's their jam." <laughs> it's like whatever the wheels on the bus, okay? <laughs> I just think that it's a nice song. And the first word is "money fall on you," and I'm always encouraging my kids to work hard because I want money to fall on them. I want them to be able to, you know, have a career, have something that they're passionate about so they can give back to their families and give back to the community. But it's just a good song. I just like the beat. I do too. But I like that way. But you thought about it because you you know the lyrics. But I liked also the fact that you said a career. Yeah. And that's important. Not just a job. Not just a job. When I was a kid, it was about a job, a job, a job. By the time I had my kids, I was like, oh, no, you don't want no job, baby. You want a career. Yes. Yes. You want something when you wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. you're like, ooh, yeah. I'm about to go in and get some and get busy. Yes. Job is that thing that you do to pay your bills. Yes. It does not feed your spirit. <laughs> yep. And that's so important for us to know. Yeah. We have to find careers, things that we're passionate about. So I just want to say thank you very much for being on the show. And I want you to tell people where to find you. It's going to be in my show notes, but yeah, you know, for those yeah. who are just listening. So I have all social media platforms, but the main one where you can find everything is www.welovedynamictherapy.com. Dynamic Therapy is my business name. And we have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have Twitter. And so if you just type in dynamic therapy on Google, you should find us in the DMV. But www.welovedynamictherapy.com. We love dynamic therapy. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. From one band to another, you are doing the best with what you have. Remember to be patient with yourself and your child. Please subscribe and check out the website www.theparentingcipher.com for additional resources from this episode.